And welcome to All Villa No Villa, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. Well, Villa had lots of the ball against Wolves, but fell to a frustrating 1-0 defeat at Molyneux on Saturday. We will talk about that in a moment. Plus, Frankie puts his hand in the microwave and pulls out another spicy question. But first things first, as ever, Frankie, how are you? Yeah, doing all right. A bit disappointed though, George. The uh, the Wolves losses, uh, it hit me hard. It hit me yeah. hard. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm all right about it. But um, did yeah, the coronation I, cheer you up? Did the, uh, did, I didn't watch much of it to be honest. <laughs> um, my my missed quite a bit of it. Uh, yeah, it it, it, it was uh, it was yeah it was it was fine I guess. <laughs> it was yeah it was what was what it was. Yeah. Um, I did uh, the, uh, the um the uh, helicopters and the planes that flew over the mall when Prince Charles or King Charles now I guess was on the balcony. Mm. Uh, they flew over my flat. Oh yeah, and I was standing on my balcony at the time, so I was kind of thinking like, finally, all Villa no Villa is getting the acknowledgement we deserve. <laughs> the 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 British state has organised for a flyover to celebrate. This podcast, <laughs> yeah, we've got like we've got we've we've got over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So yeah, they, exactly. They've, they've called they've called for the helicopter parade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Prince William Villa fan saw the thousand subscribers for all Villa. He's like straight on the phone. Got to sort this. You've got to get a chin up flying over that house. You know, just, get the red arrows. Just just wait and see what's coming when we get over two thousand, Frankie. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna be it's gonna be incredible. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be um, wow. I'll probably be. We'll be moving into Buckingham Palace. I'll be letting let keys in the place. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, do, lovely. Do the, do the podcast from uh, you know from the one of the royal chambers. Yeah, it's where we it's where we belong. I think. Yeah, really. in the dungeon. That's where we belong. <laughs> Locked up, <laughs> straight in the Tower of London. Yeah. Off with our heads. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Frankie, what did you make of the of the of the match? I think I think Wolves did. Uh, did sort of control things, um, but I, how did you how did you see it? Uh, yeah, I, um, it was kind of like the perfect start for Wolves, really, and it then set the tone for the rest of the game. Annoyingly, because it was like Wolves pressed us really hard in the first fifteen minutes. So, like whenever we had the we were passing around at the back, it felt like Wolves attackers were very honest, so they exerted a lot of energy to do that in the first 15 minutes of the first half. And then at that time, they won a corner and then um, just annoyingly scored a goal from a set piece. It was a great header from Toti. But, uh, you know, I, it's, I sort of need to see the goal again. Just from where I could see it, um, it was McGinn and Dawson were at it. Mm. And it, that sort of was quite distracting. But watching it, you know, it kind of felt a bit like Ramsey lost Toti. Maybe Mings was involved in that as well. Think, it just yeah. felt a little bit... It was a, a rare display of um, poor defending from a set piece, I would say. But that being said, it was a fantastic header. But then annoyingly, because they get that early lead from a set piece, it then means that Wolves, who are quite a defensive unit, to be honest, they haven't conceded at Molyneux in four games now, I think. Mm. Um, it meant they could just sit back with, at times, six at the back. Yeah, and then in the centre it was so compact with Ruben Neves sort of as the main force there, I guess. That it felt like whatever you tried to do, whether you sort of got out wide and crossed it in the area, it was tough because basically their defenders are so tall they'll head it away. 
And then when you're trying to get some intricacy going in the center, it's difficult to get through that defensive wall that they had. Yeah. So ultimately it was difficult to break through them. So you have to credit Wolves for being hard to get through. I think in the first half, they then sat off us too much and gave us way too much of the ball. And we were unlucky not to score. You know, Buendia had a really good effort that was saved by Saar. I think Buendia was a handful in the first half, made some good runs into the box. Second half, he wasn't as influential. And I think that every player was kind of a bit below par, really. Um, Douglas Ruiz, for instance, I think we needed him to really be at it today mm. um, as an intricate, you know, pass of the ball, just pass and move quick, quick, quick. And it just wasn't quite there. Alex Moreno wasn't quite at it today. Um, I think Mateus Nunes, I think the Wolves player, uh, I thought he was good actually. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, but you know, that, that being said, as frustrating as it was, we did still have some chances and Mings really should have scored with yeah. a volley. But you're kind of saying, well, it's a defender coming in. You kind of hope that's Watkins or Buendia. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's it's a frustrating loss. It looked a little bit like Villa kind of ran out of ideas a bit in the second half, uh, maybe even fatigued. And um, at times, Wolves were very good at disrupting the play. Lots of fouls, lots of gamesmanship, kicking the ball away, picking the ball up, substitutions at the right time, just... Lots of things that were kind of disrupting our flow that I think second half we just weren't able to get going. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating loss. Um, not not a terrible display, I would say, contrary to what I've seen online in some quarters, but a, uh, just, a, just a frustrating loss that I think Wolves defended well and Villa just maybe ran out of steam a bit, to be honest. Mm. Um, do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I do. There wasn't much in it between the two sides. I didn't think there would be before the match. I, I thought it would be a, a, a difficult game. As you say, Wolves at home um, are very strong and um, and we needed to have a bit more about us than what we put out at Molyneux, unfortunately. Um, I just think, you know, what you mentioned Buendia. I think he was trying things. Um, I don't, I don't criticise his endeavour, but I think the application just wasn't what it needed to be. It basically needed just a bit of a bit of brilliance, a bit of magic to try and unpick that defense. And he was just sort of huffing and puffing and, and not really able to kind of create that. Uh, ditto Leon Bailey when he came on. Um, you know, did bits and pieces, flashes of skill and trickery, but but not great. And again, you know, balls coming in the box and and set pieces, we weren't really on it in that regard either. And anything we did put into the box was just sort of thumped away by uh, by you know the likes of, of, of Craig Dawson who had a who had a brilliant game and and he's been a great signing for them um, since joining from West Ham. Um, I think it, it's almost like we got um, we got Unai Emeryed by Wolves really. I think yes, that's a good way. We it, yeah. we um, have won a lot of games like Wolves beat us today. You know, I think of the game mm. against um, uh, against Brentford for example, um, felt a lot like that. And you mentioned Wolves going to six at the back at times. I mean, we've done that um, mm. as well at times in, in games um, to secure to secure the three points. And, and you know, Lopetegui is a very experienced, very successful manager. He's worked wonders for, for, for Wolves, managed to pull them away, safely away from the relegation zone. He's one of your Europa League as well. Yeah, yeah, and a fe- fellow well. Basque manager as well. Absolutely, it's like so, Emery. Yeah. lots, lots in common there. And um, you know, clearly, I, th- I think they, they, they sort of have the share the same playbook in terms of tactics, by the looks of things. Yeah, it wasn't um, dissimilar, was it? 
so so yeah so um you know as i said i i did think it was going to be a a, a tight game and, and as you say there were there were a lot of players that were just just not quite at it and whether that was fatigue or whether it's the pressure of of knowing that a european place is is up for grabs um just sort of got in their head or maybe it was that last week's defeat following kind of the incredible run that we've been on um you know i don't, i don't know it's 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 kind of tough to put put off you know my finger on it, it it's it's a shame because on i know it's not um the derby as in uh you know villa blues but it is it is a west midlands derby it's a game which in recent se- se- uh, seasons has been had a bit of spice to it you know i think about the time wolves came back from behind a really dramatic circumstances at Villa Park to beat us in, in the last minute. Um, I think Dendonka scored against us um, to win that game for them. He um, did, did score. I remember the 1-0 loss. Yeah, the yeah. And then scored, and, yeah. and then I think, you know, in the, in the COVID uh, season, um, El Ghazi scoring a last-minute penalty. You know, so there's, there's always been that sort of an element of intrigue to, to those games. Um, but yeah, we just didn't sort of rise to the occasion i guess um so that that does make it a bit a bit frustrating but um mm. you know regardless you know europe is still up for grabs i think the fact we the you know next week's game against spurs obviously is a huge game and absolute obviously mm. must win that we have to win that game at the park um so you know it is good that with the three teams we've got next are the three teams who are a direct competition and ultimately if we beat them we will be in europe mm. um so you know we've got to bear that in mind, but um, but it is disappointing, and um, yeah, I just I just hope the the fact that we had you know Kamara return off the subs bench, we had um, Bailey back on the pitch, um, you know Cash is almost there, Coutinho was on the bench, you know all the players we've missed for weeks and weeks and weeks now, they should <laughs> be in contention now for that game against Spurs at home, which is a huge boost, and it might be enough to kind of reinvigorate us for that final final push in the last three games of the season yeah and I think uh, you, you mentioned the squad there that is quite important you know these players have exerted a lot of energy both mentally and physically in the unbeaten run um, and they've done it's an incredible achievement that run and also to get us into contention for Europe you know you just couldn't have dreamt of that when Unai Emery came in and replaced Gerard, given where we were mm-hmm. so it's, it's very difficult to be hard on these players really with what they've done um, I think, you know, uh, when, when I look at the squad, I do think, you know, I look at Buendia and I thought actually first half he was he was effective, but second half he kind of faded off a bit. And I, I, I do wonder if like you look at all the front players, really, they've had to play every game, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of minutes and whether there's just like a lack of quality to come in and replace them or to compete with them. You know, you, you'd I think with a bigger squad, and maybe some further quality further forward that uh, which might come in during the summer that villa might you know um i don't know just uh, just have been able to to mix it up a bit you know Buendia doesn't have to start every game you know or he can start outright rather than always off watkins or whatever um and then i think with Traore and bailey you saw Traore was really poor first half yeah. to be honest kept giving it away it was the right thing to replace him i thought bailey actually he showed what his talent in some moments he had some really good moments i thought but he also showed that inconsistency you know there was a good opportunity with a free kick that he hit straight into two players in a wall and then right at the end you know there's with villa pressing and pushing 
and uh, Villa have a corner. It, bre- it breaks away and Bailey's the player there. He's got an easy pass to Martinez. And in my head, I was thinking, I bet he underhits this. I don't know why I thought that. I just did. And then he did. And I was like, that's why you just, that's where the lack of consistency is with these. Basically, Troller and Bailey are quite similar in that sense. Mm. Um, and then because he underhit the pass, Martinez got to it, but I think it ultimately ended up being a foul or the ball went out and Wolves got possession back. And it meant that they then could take the ball down to the corner for the next three bloody minutes. And we couldn't get it back from them. And by the way, talking of three minutes, three minutes injury time is a shambles, by the way. It should have been about six or seven. Uh, but re- aside from that, um, yeah, so just sort of squad depth-wise, maybe we're slightly seeing it now. Mm. Uh, and this summer, you know, I, I I think it's quite obvious where some of the positions will be that they targeted, that they're going to target. Um, but, you know, uh, one player who did come on today, George, was Diego Carlos. Yes. Yeah, God, fantastic. Fantastic to see him play because, you know, a ruptured Achilles is um, mm. is a horrible injury. Yeah. And for that to happen so early on in his Villa career. And, you know, as well, it must be difficult for him because Gerard was the one that brought him in. He played a couple of games, was injured, had to see the decline under Gerard and then his eventual dismissal. Unai Emery comes in and, he, and um, you know, as develop this kind of winning formula with the, with the team that he's he's put out there and it's the same 11 pretty much every single week mm. so he hasn't really had a chance even when he's come back into training and uh back into the squad to stake a claim because you know comms from Mings have been undroppable really for the past two three months mm. um but yeah what i mean what an incredible um uh end to the season for him i, I you know i really hope he's involved now and i'm sure he will be in the final few games and he, and he gets right up to full fitness ahead of next season because Emery will have an interesting decision to make, you know, mm. whether he changes formation to uh, accommodate him or whether Mings or um, uh, Mings or uh, concert drop out of the starting 11 occasionally, whether he makes more of a appearances in the, in cup competitions, whether that does be in Europe or the FA cup or league cup or whatever. It's interesting to see how he fits in because obviously he's not an Emery signing. Mm. But what does Emery truly think of him? Um, I thought, yeah. I, th- I thought, I thought his distribution. There was a couple of moments he sent quite long balls, very direct and very accurate mm. across the f- field. And I thought his distribution looked good, even just in the short sort of cameo he had, I guess. And that's different to concert. Concert's distribution is not, I would say, his strong point. Yeah, I think it's fine. I actually, I, I, I've always really hated concert. Um, but yeah, that that'd be interesting to see if if Unai takes to Carlos's distribution. If 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 it's if it is very good, um, we'll we'll see. I guess. I mean, um, I, I I would say I I I really rate concert. He's had a same. difficult. He's you know when he when he when we brought him in. He adapted himself really well. I mean, remember when we signed him, he wasn't in the first team. It was Bjorn Engels was with Mings for yeah. the first couple of games of that season. Yeah. Engels sort of fell out of form and favour. Consul was brought in and, and sort of really established himself as a really top player straight away. And we were singing his praises and he was linked with the yeah. likes of Liverpool and all the rest of it. And then for the past sort of season, season and a half, his form sort of dipped along with us, really. Um, and... And no one was really talking about him anymore as being a top class defender. This season he's come back and done really well. But I, I there is a part of me that thinks like he's almost playing it as limit 
Like, like, like he's a he's a very, very good Premier League defender. But you know what? You know, is there is there more to come from Conser? Like, yeah. you, would you would you class him as a top six, top seven defender, or is he more kind of mid table? And yeah. I, I, I with 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 Carlos, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah I mean, Carlos arrived with a with a big reputation. Newcastle really wanted him before they bought Botman. Botman was their number two choice originally. They wanted Diego Carlos, and for whatever reason, that transfer didn't happen. And we signed him. And I remember there were a few Villa fans being very smug about calling Sven Botman, you know, a you know a, a, a yeah, you know Newcastle reject basically because he wasn't the the number one choice. <laughs> But he's gone on and done incredible things for them. So, who knows? Maybe Carlos can do it for us. I mean, it's it, it, it because a ruptured Achilles is such a serious injury. Obviously, you do wonder about how that's going to impact him going forward. I mean, we saw with Wesley with his with his knee, he's never really come back and been the same player. Um, so that's something to obviously keep an eye on. But um, but if he can fulfil his potential, then I think we really could have a, a, a proper centre half on our hands, and maybe we don't need to go in the transfer market and mm. fix that area because we have him ready made to come in. I think the positive is that you got three centre backs to pick from between Diego, Carlos, Conte, and Mings, who are all you, yeah. You need to have that very good yeah that, um, competition, don't you? So yeah, yeah, for sure. I just I just think squad wise, it's yeah. Uh, like if you look in attack, you know. A lot of games in a row with Ramsey, Buendia, Watkins, you know, Chari and Bailey sort of flittering and out a bit. Um, you just wonder if like some of them, if we had a bigger squad, might have been switched around. Um, probably not what obviously not Watkins, I would say, but maybe some of the others would have been a bit more in and out. And it keeps you on your toes, it keeps you fresh, you know, having competition for places. And I think ultimately that's what Villa will uh, aim to to rectify uh, in the summer. Yeah. And and uh, just kind of as a final point here, like, you know, the, the, as you say, the lack of competition at the moment is, is a problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an issue when you're winning games, when you're losing games, um, you want to mix things up, which, which why, which is why going back to what I was saying earlier, it, it's so important that we've got at least three of four long-term injury uh, injuries back in the in the fold, back in the squad, and available for, sele- for selection against Tottenham because you know it, it obviously makes it much easier for for teams to to work out um, if we uh, if we keep playing the same personnel. At least against Spurs, it will be slightly more of an interesting prospect to see who will come in. Given we were defeated today, um, who will be in the starting eleven because we'll have more options to choose from. So that can only be a good thing. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back, everybody. Now it is time for this. George and I have known each other a long time, but our friendship could be in crisis soon in this, the spicy question. And today, George, I ask you, can Mathieu Almanche, I believe it's pronounced, add much to Villa? Or do you think that directors of football are somewhat overhyped? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think, I think, generally speaking, directors not to touch on Alamange directly at the moment, but directors of football are quite important. I think to the to the structure of modern football clubs. I think the days of managers having you know complete control of transfers and and, and all the rest of it is is um, 
is probably not the way to go. I, I think I think it does need to be more of kind of a brain trust because managers can't do everything. Um, you know, managers have enough of a job picking a, a squad to 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 play football matches and to prepare games and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, that's why within um, football teams you have so many backroom staff now. You have fitness coaches, you have goalkeeper coaches, defense coaches, all the rest of it because there's so much to do, so much to plan, so much to prepare. And all that filters down to, you know, what the manager has to do in terms of picking personnel. So when it comes to sort of reading scout reports on players, perhaps, or um, flying over to, to to see players yourself or making a decision on on who should come in and which position, it's probably too much for, for, for one manager to do. So sporting directors come in and they can facilitate that. And, and a lot of them now are very experienced in their roles. You know, it's, it's probably a, a relatively new position in football, probably emerging in the last 20 years or so, but now it's, it's become very prominent and, and there are a lot of skilled operators out there. Mathieu Alamange by reputation, at least being one, I've got to be honest. I don't, I didn't know too much about him. I, it was a name I'd heard of mentioned when Barcelona were talked about when I was watching, you know, champions league games, obviously he's been, um, he's been at Barcelona at, at a really difficult time for them as a sort of restructure and um, and consolidate with with what money they have, and he has been, by all accounts, a really sort of smooth operator there. He's he's managed to bring in a lot of um, sort of free signings. I say you know free players coming in out of contract, obviously on on probably quite big wages, but but people that um, that have gone in and affected the team well, particularly in the league domestically there. They're they're about to win the title for the first time in is it three or four years I think they're yeah, winning the, win the league four years yeah so you know and and they, and they've done that very smartly in the transfer window um, the likes of um, Kunde um, Lewandowski uh, you know players like that coming in and and um, being really effective um, and then before then he was uh, getting praised for his work at Valencia and then before then his hometown club of Mallorca. Um, he sort of sanctioned the the signing of, of Samuel Eto'o, who's, you know, one of the most iconic strikers in, in La Liga history, really. Um, you know, so he has a, he has serious pedigree and he obviously knows Unai Emery and hopefully, obviously there's been no official confirmation of his joining, but Emery was asked about it in the press conference ahead of the Wolves game and said it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, there's there's potential there. Obviously, he was keeping his cards close to his chest, but it does seem like it's about to happen. Mm. And I just think, you know, as I said, it's that brains trust element. I don't think Emery feels threatened by it. He, I, I'm sure he wants uh, Alamange there to work with, bounce ideas off. And I think, you know, from a Villa perspective, it will be interesting this summer to see exactly who we target because there's there's lots of financial problems in La Liga at a lot of clubs. And I know this sounds perhaps a bit, um, I don't know, like we're sort of vultures, vulture uh, carcass. carcass. Oh, but, um, <laughs> but but you know, there's there's there, I think there are bargains to be had. I mean, if if Moreno is an example of 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 the deals that can be made in in Spain, thirty million pounds in today's market is absolutely nothing, mm. and he's a very decent left back who's who's absolutely improved us. So that's you know one signing off the back that Emery's got right already. So if he can carry on doing that with Alamange's, you know, experience, then I think it's, it can only be a, a, a good thing. So I know I do, generally speaking, I don't think sporting directors are overrated 
And in the specific case of Alamange, I think it's a real coup by the sounds of things. And I'm really excited to see what they can come up with in, in the summer. Well, George, I put our names forward to Aston Villa for the role. They listened to the pre-season predictions and heard me say that I think Brentford might go this year. So they said, uh, we'll get back to you. And they never got back to me. So um, disappointed, Mr. Disappointed. Yeah, disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll have you know, I won the Champions League with Rushton and Diamonds on Championship Manager 20 years ago, football manager nowadays. So was that the one with Daniel Nardiello up front? Oh, no, that was when I got sacked with Northampton Town. <laughs> My incredible six-game losing streak, which involved losses that were 6-0, 5 6-1, 7-0. You sound like Javi Gracia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, it'd be like me taking over Leeds now. <laughs> and i tell you what I do at the press conference, George. I'd, I'd be saying, like, Klopp and Pep Guardiola, they don't know football better than me. Just like Sam Allardyce did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. They don't know football better. I've, I've done I've done 100 podcasts now. 100 podcasts. <laughs> talk, talk rubbish on all of them. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, what does Guardiola know? Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Machi Alemanji. I mean, I spoke to Samuel Marsden um, from ESPN Diario Sports, Siempre Positivo, the Barcelona podcast, uh, all about him, really. And uh, he was, he said it was a big coup for Aston Villa. Um, he thought of very positively at Barcelona um, and his work at Valencia as well. So, in a sense, Valencia, a bit of a basket pay- case under. Uh, Peter Lim, Barcelona themselves financially a bit of a basket case in recent years. Mm. And you'd have to say that what he did, you know, both clubs, you know, helped Valencia get to top four two, two seasons in a row, despite being a, a bit of a joke. Yeah. And now they're in relegation trouble. And I think Valencia fans are very unhappy when he was let go of, from Valencia. Barcelona, uh, same thing. He had to do a lot of creative transfers mm. last season and yeah they're on course to win La Liga I think the Lewandowski signing might come back to haunt them one day but that's just my thinking because it's a long contract for a 35 year old um, and then uh, you know um, he was also at Real Mallorca for a long time and uh, you know had a, had a, did great work there as well you know always in La Liga I think when he was there and that's not a team that's always been in La Liga so Yes, I think that what happens is behind the scenes, I think sometimes, yes, there can be a bit of a celebrification, Californication, celebrification. Come up with a new word, George. It's going to be a new hit. (laughs) We're an innovative podcast. Yes. uh, On all counts. Stream of celebrification. Yes, there there can be a bit bit celeb-y, sort of those directors of football, and some of them come in with big re- reputations and then don't do a good jobs. So I think Damien Camoli was one that I can think of who was supposed to be so good and then, you know, hasn't done a brilliant job, I would say, in the in the UK. Um, but then you see no, some... No, no, he was that Dutch guy at um, Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, oh, I can see his face. I can see his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Frank Arneson? Frank Danish? Arneson, yeah. Frank Danish. Arneson, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Arneson and, uh, you know, Gazidis, I think, who was at Arsenal and then went to AC Milan and um, David Gill, who was at United and left when Fergie did. So, you know, it was a big, you know, it wasn't just Fergie leaving United that was a big problem. It was also David Gill and his expertise leaving. And Ed Woodward coming in was not as good on the football side as Gil was. So ultimately, these characters can do count, you know. And, you know, he comes in with a successful track record, Alamange. It sounds, it is a big coup by all accounts. So I mean, the, um, fact that, the fact that we are able to entice 
someone over from Barcelona is, is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible really. I mean, it's not like, it's not like Coutinho who Barcelona were kind of desperate to get rid of, you know, he's, he's someone there, albeit not on the playing side of things, but someone staff, you know, a staff member who they genuinely wanted to keep and were unable to, because we offered a better financial package than Barcelona, which uh, Mm. in my head sounds completely mental, but um, yeah. Sign of the times, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Very much a sign Um, of the times. Yeah. I think it says more about Barcelona than it does about us personally, but um, mm. still it's, um, it is impressive. Well, I think the way to look at it is I think it suggests there's an ownership that very much is ambitious, that really is backing Emery as much as it can. And I think that, you know, what does matter is it's not just, you know, ultimately there's a lot of things that go into making a football club successful, Having the right coach, I think, is probably the most important I can think of. Yeah. The having the right ownership as well. We have a good two very ambitious owners. We have the right coach, I believe. Um, and then to have somebody in a sort of more uh behind the scenes role who can help Emery, communication, um, can get deals over the line that perhaps Emery can then focus more on the coaching at times. And also, you know, it probably helps that they both speak Spanish together. Again, that helps on the whole communication front as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, I don't know, just as long as it creates the, the sets the, the ingredients behind the scenes for Emery to be as successful as he possibly can be on the pitch. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And so, yeah. yes. And I, I, but I, I wonder as, as well, you know, with Barcelona being as huge as they are, Mm. I wonder, obviously I don't know, I don't know, but I wonder whether Alamange in certain quarters is um, prevented from doing all the things he wants to do because there's, you know, voices coming from all directions at Barcelona. It's it's such a big club, a huge club Mm. to, to, to run, to manage, probably lots of people behind the scenes. At Villa, I don't, well, I don't think it will be, that will be the case. He will get much more of a say, much Mm. more control, um, and he'll have much more influence in terms of what he wants to do, which I imagine is perhaps another reason why he is on the cusp of joining us because he can mold this club much more um, than he ever could really do at Barcelona, um, which which I imagine is, is quite an appealing thing for for him. And also just the new challenge of working in the in, you know in the Premier League, arguably the strongest league in the world. He's been in Spain all his. Uh, most of uh, all or most all his, career. All his career yeah all um so you know um it's a challenge to be at a you know a big club a club which has ambition a club that um you know wants to play in the champions league emery himself said very recently that that's that's the, the long-term target for him playing in europe in the europa league if we do manage is great but he says he wants to you know play at the top at the, the highest level and um you know alamange has been sporting director at a club that has up until recently done that consistently every single season mm. so he knows what it takes um, i'm intrigued to see what it means with yan lang yeah I and how that relationship works i'm intrigued yeah. to see what goes on there well i want again i'm just purely speculating on on kind of what i've read about the situation i think from what i've read again according to some reports i think lang is appreciated for like his his, his work in, with sort of data stuff you know that he has skills that perhaps alamand doesn't have um so i think from what again, from what I've been reading, there's still a place for for Lang and and, and the qualities that he offers. But Alamange will perhaps take some of the other responsibilities mm. from Langer, um, and maybe they can kind of work together mm. for for for, you know, for for mutual benefit of the of the club. We'll see. 
We'll see. I think I think Jury's going to be out on that one. Uh, I mean, uh, it's difficult to assess Lang really uh, in the signings we've made. I mean, there's been a couple of, like Bubakar Kamara was a fantastic signing. Uh, Diego Carlos potentially could have been. It's difficult to say at the moment. Um, I'd argue Coutinho wasn't. Um, Buendia, Danny Ings. I think Buendia's good, but um, Ings, no, that was the wrong signing. Uh, yeah, he, he's he, he's blown hot and cold, and 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 they, you it, know, they, it's but it's also, it's difficult to know exactly how involved he was with all of those transfers. Mm. So we'll see. We'll we'll see how it works out. Um, I, I, I'm I'm what I will say is that I I believe this is a real show of intent from Villa's owners. And it is an attempt to give Emery uh, as much um, comfort in his role as he can get working with people behind the scenes who might actually be able to bring players that might not have been necessarily easy to get into Villa. Maybe we'll have more of a chance with Alamange there. Yeah, definitely. And and I think what it does do is, I mean, we all, we all knew, again, this hasn't officially happened, so we have to make that point clear but if it does happen um i think what was already going to be quite an exciting summer makes it that much more intriguing to see exactly who we're, we're targeting because already reports of vlajevic from juventus <laughs> yeah. ferran torres yeah. i mean players that you know six months ago we couldn't have dreamed of signing but now yeah. they're being genuinely discussed in reputable newspapers um so you know if that happens astonishing um but um but yeah as i said whatever happens it's going to be a really really interesting summer and i can't wait for it now okay thank you everybody for listening i've been your host george Zelinski. frankie i will see you later catching a bit up the villa up the villa and it is goodbye from me too we will be back again soon but until then, come on, Super Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs>